What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today we are talking about Season 4, Episode 4, Indiscretion. Mike, tell us how you are and one of your indiscretions. Um, Keith, I'll tell you, when I moved to New York, right about when I met you, actually, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we were rehearsing at a place called Shetler Studios over on uh, 9th Avenue? No, 8th, 8th Avenue. Yeah. And not far down the block was a place called Hot and Crusty, which is not a not a den of ill repute. It turns out it, it was a sandwich shop. Uh huh. And uh -huh. you'd you'd stand at the front, or you'd go into the back, and then you would get your sandwich. You then would pay for it up front, and then there was tables in the back to eat the sandwiches. So Keith, I, my indiscretion is that for oh I don't know two three years, I would go order my sandwich, bring it to the back, and eat it, and then exit. Uh, uh, they never really, they didn't pl plan out the, 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 the setup of the place to really encourage paying. And so I think I owe Hot and Krusty on 8th Avenue 300 and some dollars. So the, the, the small independent business just trying to, uh, to stay alive. You mean me? On 8th Avenue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you talking about me? Because yes, that's right. All right. Well, you were a terrible person then, but luckily... You know, like uh, like Deep Space Nine, you've evolved into a a, a more evolved, better person. But so, Keith, so shall we? Shall we? I, I I don't know if you're going to mention it, so I'm going to bring it up here. Uh, shall we sing a quick happy birthday to one Avery Brooks? It is the captain's birthday. Oh, it is. Well, happy birthday, Avery Brooks. Should should we should we instead of happy birthday, instead of for he's a golly jolly good fellow, <laughs> should we just give him a huzzah? Or a hip hip hooray? Absolutely. Hip, All hip. right. Hooray! hooray! Huzzah! Hooray! <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well done, Captain. Yes, yes. Well, there you go. Seventy uh, fifth, I believe. Wow. So, God bless. Uh, hope you are well and healthy. All right. So uh, let us talk a little bit about last week's episode, Hippocratic Oath, and give your ratings for that episode. Here we go. Joshua Cronin gives it an 85. Jason Moe with an 88. YouTube Viewer with an 87. Delusions at Noon also with an 87. JD comes at an 89. Harry Pothead with an 85. Worf's Big Old Boot Shivs. Oh, didn't put one for this week. So, you know, eh, that's what happens. Kevin Miles it. with an 89. And Sans Deity coming in, as always, with the super thanks, which means we read your comment. So uh, if you want me to read your comment, leave a super thanks. Sans Deity says, I love this episode so much. What an amazing start to season four. Each episode has been an absolute banger. Bang it in me and Keith's regional vernacular. And this is no exception. Did he say this bang, is, bang it in me? Bang it in me and Keith's regional vernacular. That, that's the quote. So uh, this is one of the episodes of Deep Space Nine that I'll watch just randomly and not part of a big rewatch. It is so many classical elements that make Deep Space Nine top-notch. First, you have a moral dilemma where two of our heroes are on opposite sides. Both of them are right in their own ways. You can understand Bashir's compassion for curing the Jem'Hadar, who were essentially slaves, but also understand O'Brien's pragmatic militaristic view. The best parts of Trek have no true moral answers and ask us to find them for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Another very important aspect of this episode is how it humanizes the Jem Hadar. Instead of seeing them as mindless killing machines, we get a glimpse of the honor and a code within them. 
while at the same time we've never left we're never left to believe that they're going to be our friends this is something that is explored much more much much more and the humanization of our heroes enemies is key to what i love about deep space 9 the bad guys aren't all boogeymen just doing evil for the sake of evil their desires and motivations are much more complex than that and i've always loved that line where the jemhadar says that o'brien will have to explain to bashir why he can't just abandon his men it just encapsulates everything this episode says. We are enemies, but in the end, we are both this much more the same than we're different. Then, to top it off, I really enjoyed the B-plot as well. It added some more salt to the idea that Worf needs to learn this is not the Enterprise. I really loved seeing how Odo stood up to him, but ultimately they gained a mutual respect for each other. One of my favorite Odo moments of all of Deep Space Nine is Odo pointing out that security on the Enterprise, which was Worf's purview, wasn't exactly perfect either. <laughs> That's a damn fair point. But in the end, there is no animosity, just two professionals working together. 97 self-sealing stem bolts. Hell yes, they are self-sealing. And Keith, do you always read your stage directions? I will never forgive. I bulge or forget. Well, uh, A, I'm not always great at reading stage directions. But more importantly, I'm cold reading... <laughs> and try not to give myself a headache with eye bulge, but for you, I will not forgive or forget. So, whew, there it is. You're welcome. That was like a cup of neighbors. coffee straight into my face. <laughs> well, you said you wanted coffee. You're right. You're right. So, so there you go. All right. So that average is out to math. I think it's time to start talking about indiscretions mike not not to be indiscreet but will you throw that uh about the episode up there uh every Keith, week in our divorce you can have the uh the uh, about the episode <laughs> about the run just hit the button hit the button <laughs> all right so i was doing eq i was eqing yeah well that's less important to me when i'm <laughs> Trying to, as fast as I possibly can, prepare the episode on YouTube because that's... You know, the I past two we, weeks, I've done it for you. And I very much appreciate it because, you know, if anything is vegetables <laughs> in this process, filling out the YouTube stuff is the vegetables in yeah, this process. Yeah, for me, it's exporting. It's like, okay, I did the work, and now I want to, like, send it to Keith and be done. Beep. Mm -hmm. And you're like, ah, i got to sit here for the next 15 minutes. Well, you don't have to watch it. No, but like it's my computer. I, I can't really do a lot. It uses all of the resources of the computer. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. All right, so anyway. uh, this episode aired on October twenty third, nineteen ninety five. Oh, it's almost Halloween, mm, both spooky. in uh, nineteen ninety five and in twenty twenty three. Halloween, one of my favorites for 1995 sure. Nineteen ninety five spooky season. Yeah, I don't know if I. I don't think I did a costume in 95. I think like that was like 15. I was a little, I, I, I was in like the, uh, I'm too cool for school to go trick or treating at that point, even though secretly I really wanted the candy. I think we did it pretty much through graduation. So I tell mm. the story every year on every podcast we do, but this is about the year we did the uh, publisher's, publisher's clearing house. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The top song. But, uh, this is why you got the EQ right. Once again, was Mariah Carey's Fantasy. Ooh, ooh, fantasy, baby. 
I can't even yeah. listen to myself. No. The top movie was Get Shorty, which took in that $12 million. Dollars. I that, was, the, yeah. that was Travolta, and then they remade it like into a TV show uh, with like Sarah Stiles later. Uh, anyway, the uh, what was on TV? Oh, Keith, I can't wait to tell you. Oh, so, I'm excited to hear I think it. we're a week early because one of my favorite things to do in looking back is around Halloween, you get the just the corniest TV titles. The episode titles are always uh, sure, some sort of Halloween sure. spoof. We're not quite seeing those, although not so on Partners, which was a show that was on Fox after Melrose Place. Sure. That was uh, called Who's Afraid of Ron and Cindy Wolf was the name of that episode. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. Over on ABC. It's and not if, really a Halloween. Yeah, that's, yeah. I guess it's next week, so we're not going to really, this isn't going to pan out the way I thought. Anyway, <laughs> NFL's Monday Night Football, your New England Patriots, Keith, defeated the then Buffalo Bills at 27 to 14. Okay, first off, New England Patriots, never mind. Uh-huh. They're still the Buffalo Bills. You, you, if you go back and listen for a few weeks, you'll realize I'm just making the the away team your team every time. Uh, uh-huh. But in the best. In the best TV episode that absolutely has aged like a fine wine, mm-hmm. never problematic. The Nanny over on CBS mm-hmm. was airing a brand new episode entitled, and I'm just quoting, Oy vey! You're gay. Oy vey, indeed. <laughs> That's the name of the episode, so go check that one out on YouTube. Well, hey, 1995, this was this was a big topic and people were uh we we were we were not in a great place, but sometimes I imagine the nanny probably you know was yeah. coming down the right side of that. Uh, you know, spoiler alert, next week on Deep Space 9. Oh, we'll see. Okay. So uh, it might it might be a groundbreaking episode of Deep Space Nine next week. So, in a way that watching it in through contemporary eyes, you wouldn't even notice it. But in well, 1995, big, the, it was the gas. Big, the big Ellen episode, like her big coming out episode, which was the big thing. That was NBC, right? I don't know. It was later though. in '97, I believe. Yeah, but only a couple of years. Yeah, that's not too far off. Yeah. Anyway, uh, all right. So that's the only weekly... 40, 52 episodes of Deep Space Nine away. That's right. That's right. We'll, we'll get there. We will definitely get there. The weekly world news headline. Boy, I've got some great news for you about... Nope, that's not it. It's not? No. No, oh, no that, was last, that last week. week. That was well, last you, week. Tell me your great news, and I'll see what I can whip up here. Well, the great news, we have some very important information about golden raisins and gin. Oh, well, uh, in that case, we need to see that. We definitely need to see that because it can cure arthritis. Oh. Uh, so kiss pain goodbye forever. Golden raisins and gin cure arthritis. I, you know, if you have enough of both... Uh, you'll you'll forget about your uh, arthritis. I'll tell you that much, Keith. You know, uh, apropos to nothing, friend of the show, my brother Nick, uh-huh. who we talk about often, uh, he just got his MRI results back because out of nowhere his hips started hurting. Now he is forty nine years old, so he's mm-hmm. not an old man, but his hips really hurting, and he was afraid he needed a hip replacement. Anyway, he goes in his MRI shows that. He was born with double hip dysplasia his whole life and was protected only by the thinnest veneer 
of cartilage in his hip socket. Really? But that has apparently dissolved, and now he is all ball and socket, no cartilage, which his doctor described as intense arthritis. Uh, absurd arthritis. It was, it, was it was a really funny way to put it. I, I didn't laugh on the text because he was pretty serious. He's got to have uh, surgery. I, I believe he's having and getting a new hip, maybe two wow. new hips. Well, I mean, wow. And he did all of that and uh, was a professional wrestler. So uh, I'm sure that didn't help. It probably, probably didn't help a heck of a lot, but mm-hmm. I hear it's good for your body. Uh, anyway, good. But, but our best wishes. He's going under the knife on the 27th of October. They got him in for an emergency surgery so that he can, you know, wow. walk. Oof. Well, yeah, best wishes to a friend of the show, Nick. But maybe all he needs are some golden raisins and gin. <laughs> Which, to tell you the truth, he might need after anyhow. I I mean, probably. I mean, you know, it'll it'll keep him, uh, keep him happy and regular. That's the important part. <laughs> all right. So uh, we have an exciting director for this episode. Mike, did you did you notice who directed this episode? Did no. you take did you take a look? You didn't read a book. I didn't, Which, but I did I, I did I did still pay um, homage to Reading Rainbow. Yes. I can do of, anything. You can do anything. You can fly twice as high because it was LeVar Burton. Jordy directed this episode. LeVar Burton goes on to become a very prolific director on all of the 90s Trek. He did eight episodes of Voyager, nine of Enterprise, two of Next Gen, and ten Deep Space Nine episodes. This is the first of ten from LeVar Burton. Uh, Very cool. Happy to have him here. This episode was written by Lisa Klink, who did the teleplay, and Nicholas Correa and Lisa Link, who did the, uh, the story. Lisa Klink would go on to become a writer-editor on 74 episodes of Voyager. Uh, but this is Nicholas Correa's only Deep Space Nine who does one episode of Voyager, and this is Lisa's only episode of Deep Space Nine. So this because... would be the only Klink and Link collab. Klink and... Oh, no, sorry. It's it's Both of them are Lisa Klink. I just uh, I said Link when I meant Klink. <laughs> oh, man. But that, but but look, that was using the material I gave you. <laughs> nailed it. Okay. I can't believe anyone listens to this track. <laughs> I it it baffles me every week. Every week I am baffled. How can we be the worst part of our own show? I mean, every day on YouTube, people in the universe waste more than a day watching our nonsense <laughs> why all right so well we're wasting two days right now <laughs> we sure are uh well let's do something more important with trivial trivia now keep waste your time with what with trivial trivia all right so this is fun Nana visitor and Mark Alimo's laughter during the scene in which Ducat sat on a needle rock thing and re- running the deactivated regenerator. The laugh was genuine. They it, both yeah. found the scene so hilarious they couldn't contain it, but they stayed in character. So uh, Lavart just kept it in the scene. Uh, 
I've got thoughts on that scene. It, more so that, like, it wasn't like he sat on a pine cone. He got basically raped by a six-inch icicle. Like, that thing is enormous. He's going to need more than a regenerator to feel better after that. Well, you, we're, we're going to find out. We know Klingons have two of things, but maybe Cardassians have two buttholes now. So. I had to listen to Eli Manning say butthole, like, 12... 12 times last night. Now you, Keith! Oh my god. This is a mess. This is a mess. So many buttholes. So many buttholes, so little time. This episode marks the first ever appearance of Breen. <laughs> that whole sequence is going to be in our out of context. Yeah, four yeah coming I think up. so. The first, uh, first, the first appearance of who? Of the Breen. The, uh, who are the... the folks holding the people captive on the planet. Prior to this, the Breen had been mentioned numerous times on both this series and The Next Generation as an enemy of the Federation, but we had never seen them. So here they are. Roy Brocksmith, who played Raza Karn, also played the Zakdorn master strategist, Sinan Kolarami, in peak performance in Next Generation in a very memorable role. Uh, we'll talk more about Roy Brocksmith, but I thought he was great. You want to know who else I think is great? Can't wait for you to tell me. It's our patrons, Mike! Brian Kimball Beersock, Casey Clark, Jason Moe, Joshua Cronin, Andrew Hayes, Jorge Navoa, and the Mysterious and the Mysterious Household Dwarfs big, 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 big old boot shivs Charles Babbage, Richard Coleman, Harry Pothead, Peter Benke. Peter, thanks for your great questions on the Patreon. CRM Productions, Nikolai Ivanovich Lobachevsky, Delusions at Noon, Steve Brown, YouTube viewer James Hubbard, Lisa Kislov. JD Makes, Colin Dagan, Chris Mitchell, CRM. Kislova. Kislova Burton. Kislova Burton. That's what, that's what I would do. JD Makes, Colin Dagan, Chris <laughs> Mitchell, CRM, Pat, and Joshua Cronin. You can join that illustrious team at patreon.com slash KNM. And let me tell you, Keith. Every week, even if I'm a little sad because CEO Jen left town, I watch Deep Space Nine in real time with my friends. I was thinking maybe posting a day before I'm actually going to watch and see if anybody wants to watch with me in oh, real time. I'm going to be posting that, so uh, stay tuned. Oh, I love that idea because I'm not involved. Yep. Uh, but I, I don't know the logistics of it because, you know, it's like, uh, anyway, not we the point. the same way we did the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is not the point. Uh, it's just never consistent, so uh, I don't Anyway, uh, they get a bunch of other stuff, uh, Q, uh, Q&As and, and fun stuff. But most importantly, like you have to say it every week, they get the privilege of knowing that they are producing this show. Uh, and so they're basically our boss. Uh, yeah. And additionally, we've unlocked all of the content at the $1 tier and up because of inclusivity. And we want to be financially inclusive as well. That doesn't mean you can't contribute more because you want to support us. In fact... We are counting on it. It's much like Radiohead did with the release of their album In Rainbows, where it was a pay-what-you-can, and uh, they still made a gajillion dollars. Uh, and oh. we're only looking to make any dollars. dollars. Yeah. <laughs> we just want to we're put an hoping... S next to the word dollar. We just don't want you to kiss Leva the Patreon because we mess up your name so many times. See what I did there? <laughs> All right. Mr. Our guest Keith. stars this week are Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates, Mark Alimo as now Leggett Ducat, not Gull Ducat, Roy Brocksmith as Raza, Razka Karn, 
Sia Batten as Zial and Thomas Prisco as Heller. Which means it is time to hop into our screening room. What do you say? <clears throat> Let's do it. Oh, wow. Mike is peeking in my ears right and left, but I'm assuming it's right on your end. How loud do you have these? The point of in-ears is that you can take it down to like 60% volume. Oh, no. I need to hear everything screaming. You're just distorting. That's all. Oh, okay. That's... I don't think it's on me. I think it's. I think it's coming through the. Because uh, I'm not peeking. Oh I no, think no. It's... we're we're well below even unity gain here, buddy. All right. Look, I'm happy for you. I be- I believe, I believe it's. Uh, or, or maybe you're just distorting in real life. Yeah. Maybe you're so excited. Could you're be. peaking your own vocal cords. Worf has thoughts, and his thoughts are get to the episode. Worf has one line, and then leaves the <laughs> leaves the episode. <laughs> but you you pay me for twenty six episodes. I will be in it. Or one line. Because Kira gets a call from her old friend who once got bested by Data on Next Generation. He's got a lead on the Ravenock, a mysterious ship we don't know anything about yet. And he can't leave to come and tell it in person because he's a little shady. But Kira can come to him and see if they can find any survivors. And that's the entire teaser. Yeah, I liked its brevity, to be honest with you. Well, it's it definitely like you set up the mystery. We've got a, you know, it's like we're going to go search for the Titanic. Cool. All right. Yeah, that's fine. Right. Yeah. So in Act 1, Odo and Kira have their security meeting and chat about the usual criminal activity. But once again, Kira is too distracted. It's been six years since the Ravenock disappeared. And Kira had a friend on the ship. Odo, and I thought was a... Odo is sometimes very intuitive and very, like, very understanding of the human condition. Perhaps especially for Kira, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knows he can't talk her out of it, so he just says, good luck. He cuts right to the good luck part, which, you know what, folks, that's being a good partner. It's being a good friend. Yeah, and I think it's it's good writing in that they, they they every once in a while will throw us a bone of reminding us, and I I feel like they did this with Data as well, just how his humanity is growing, growing. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, especially I in he's... the increasing threat from the Dominion, they draw right. a larger distinction between him and them. And I think Odo also really, you know, along with understanding Kira and understanding how she rolls, he he values independence really strongly. Mm-hmm. And I think he he values it for himself. And I think he does it. He he will defend that for other people. Um, he's very much into personal autonomy. There's a lot of emotional emotional acuity there too, because who amongst us hasn't dealt with unrequited love before? And a lot of people, one, A, can't handle that type of friendship, right? That, yeah. At yeah. all, period. Or B, have, you can always see sort of the gears turning, like they're trying to <clears throat> use whatever machinations they can or manipulation they trying can to, to. Talk her into it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, and he's not. He's just yep. being a good friend. He's like, I accept the situation. I accept, you know, and like, I just want to be a good friend. That's great. 
He's oh no, he's a good guy. It's a good guy. A little crusty on the outside, even though he's gooey on the inside. So later, Cisco goes to Kira as she's preparing to leave. He wants her to postpone the trip because the Cardassian government got wind of this and wants to send someone along. It was a the Ravenok was a Cardassian ship holding Bajoran prisoners. She does not want to do this, but the request came from high up, and it's important diplomatically to let them come along, because now we're really working towards the Cardassians and Bajorans being friends, because the uh, Cardassians, as we are reminded here, the new civilian government has taken over. So the, the civilian dissident government, which is maybe a little bit less shitty than uh, what we've known. So, I don't know. Let's see. Later, it reminded me on Strange New World of when the Butcher of wherever came on board and Pike had to <clears throat> tell everybody, hey, put you on your Sunday clothes and come to dinner. Yeah, yep, that's I, that for sure. So later, Dax and Cisco talk about his date with Cassidy. Then, and he's like, ah, we're not serious. Then she shows up and says, you know what, I'm not leaving after all. She's going to try to get a job working for the Bajorans. And it's going to keep her in the area, maybe getting serious after all. Do you think I could get a key to your place? And do you mind if I leave, like, just some of my toiletries in your in your bathroom? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Dax invites her to live on the station, and Cisco is hilariously freaked out by this. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about Avery Brooks. Happy birthday. Uh, the line reading, he goes, oh, it's good, or something. It was hilarious. Listen. Small triggers, right? Yeah, but I I think his his performance of his anxiety here is first class. I really thought it was good. Well, when you think about, I was thinking about this actually because, you know, what's cool is that it's just this big galactic play play space, and yet there's still these human moments, and and you just kind of extrapolate our experience into a huge space. So imagine you're you're maybe a, you have some commitment issues, A. And B, maybe this is your first relationship after your wife is dead, right? And right. oh yeah, you got a lot of stress on your shoulders. So what better type of relationship to let someone stay inside of their comfort zone than oh, hey, I see you every couple of weeks and then you got to go light years away, right? No <laughs> that's an yeah. easy commitment if you're light years away most of the time. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, I'm going to live on the space place where you work, I can imagine you'd do a little freak out. Yeah, I mean, because the station is sort of like a town, like a, a small town, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I mean, there's there's only one there's only one quarks. You're going to run into each other constantly. I told the story. It, it was it's funny now. I it, one time in my life, I've had a few like long distance relationships, but only one time did I live in a different state across the country from this person I've been dating for kind of years, Mm. long distance. And the second I made the decision to move to her town, the second I made that decision, she broke up with me like that. I was like, oh, I lived this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You uh, you you didn't you didn't realize you were dangling by a thread, but turns out you were. Yeah, she she Cassidy Yates me pretty quick. Yeah. Or she she, Cisco'd me. Yeah. Well, she Cassidy yeeted you out of her life. (laughs) So the Cardassian ship arrives, and who beams on to go along on the mission but Dukat? Now, Leggett, Dukat, Kira, naturally, not thrilled. 
So in Act 2, we uh, we have a scene on the runabout where Kira sets Dukat straight. I'm in charge. This is my mission. Shut up. But she asks him why they sent him, of all people. And uh, he says, uh, well, they were under my command at that point. So that's why I'm doing this. And we find out that Kira knows one of the prisoners, which we gathered. It was the guy who recruited her into the Shakar resistance. And Dukat kind of compliments her by saying that the uh, Shakar resistance were impossible to wipe out. Then he starts to bloviate, and Kira laughs at him. But in his bloviation, he says, in some ways, the occupation helped Bajor. Sounds like the Cardassians are now writing textbooks in Florida. Uh, however, I did this. This conversation is strikingly relevant today with uh, all of the rewriting our history. I, but she says something like, uh, uh, the that you know uh, he's like well we you know you you were simple people and then after the Cardassian you're strong and and resilient and powerful and she makes the obvious point uh, we did that in spite of you not because of you you monsters so you know eh, come on Ron eh. anyway I really <clears throat> this is a philosophical conversation we don't have time for but. It's really interesting, and Dukat is such a great example of this, and the way he's written is always so good, and, and Limo is great. But you, every time you go, you 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 are goaded into giving him credit for something. Like, hey, you know how evolved is it that someone who clearly was at war with these people can also see their strategic victories and give them credit for it, and be like, hey, that was actually pretty cool how you guys were able to run under our radar, and we can never quite catch you. Right. And and be so not personally involved, and you know, and isn't that growth? And then you think, oh wait, because they juxtapose it with Kira, and she's pers- she's emotionally personally invested in this struggle, and she's like, these were people, and we weren't. It wasn't strategy; we were just trying to get out. And you realize, oh yeah, his complete sort of ability to emotionally not not get emotionally involved and see it, it I, well, I can't I can't articulate what exactly I'm trying to say but to detach right is monstrous right or is <clears throat> shows a lack of empathy or a lack of uh, what's of of responsibility it's, it's for his 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 place in it and we're going to see that much more later in this episode I, well for sure and he has a he has a a the the remarkable narcissistic ability to turn the monstrous things that he did into victories for himself. Yeah. And so he he's not emotionally involved because he's convinced himself, oh, I did a good thing for you. I helped you. And like, you know, like, and so I'm I'm the hero of this story of you overcoming my oppression. Mm-hmm. Right? Somehow he's the story, he's the hero of it, which is exactly why this conversation is so relevant and which is why you know what's happening in our country right now we have we have the oppressors deciding to rewrite history to make them the heroes of the oppression that they did to you know and and i think like in real life dukat believes it i think he genuinely believes that he helped the bajoran people mm-hmm. with this occupation well and what's great too in sci-fi and star trek we the you have to constantly check yourself because 
from from the other Cardassians we've seen and from that episode where there was the Cardassian trial and we know that they give you your sentence basically before you even go to trial and it's sort of a show trial just to prove that they were right and the bad right. guys never get away with it. Right. Yeah. And so it's easy to just be like, okay, this is, <clears throat> he is representative of all Cardassians. This is how they all think and behave. And to a degree that's true, I think, fundamentally from a societal perspective. However, we spend only two minutes with his daughter but it doesn't seem fundamentally like she seems to have an emotional belief in in him just as a father and what she wants and and maybe because she's been raised outside of that that society that maybe they are not just like the Jem'Hadar last week fundamentally all like that we can't broad brush it here no well and well and Kira knows that because of her relationship with the guy who they both tricked into thinking that he was her daughter yeah yeah right yeah and and so Kira has has had this incredibly complex onion of layers of relationship with the Cardassians, and I think I think Dukat is stands in for your typical Cardassian, mm-hmm. and he's like extra Cardassian. Um, but obviously, there are many layers to uh, it. The episode fl- threads a great needle in that we, we could go back and start. I should have kept a tally of how many times I was like, "Hey, you know, Dukat, like maybe I misjudged you," and then you're like, oh, wait, maybe I didn't just... <laughs> like, it's yeah. it's great the back and forth to deal with him. Oh, I mean, if you could keep that list running for the entire seven seasons, yeah. oh, my God, because that... But but that is that is him. He's a very complex character. Him and Garrick, I think, are the two that you're like, they just... Sometimes, and we've seen this with Bashir, not to get too into it, there's just inconsistency in the writing or the performance or the character, whatever the, whatever the alchemy is, it's a little back and forth, w- w- wishy-washy. Whereas with Garrick and him, it seems very intentional, very, very plotted, consistent. and very yeah. consistent. Well, and they're, they're basically two sides of the same coin. Because in Garrick, you're mostly good, a little evil. And Dukat, you're like, mostly evil, little good. Yeah. And and I think that's... It. But it, it, it's very consistent, right, in in this thing. And it's it makes for... The, why they're both some of the best characters on the show. So, uh, anyway, Lemo is so great at being gross. Um, in Cisco's, Cassidy announces, hey, I got the job working for the Bajorans. I'm going to be here full time. Cisco is not doing a good job of pretending he's not freaked out. He says the immortal lines, it's a big step. And she calls him on it. You're afraid of commitment. Forget it. I won't take the job. And she gets up and leaves. That conversation did not go well. I think everybody has been on one side or the other of that conversation at some point in their lives. There's a there's a baffling directorial choice here, but maybe I think it's supposed to say something about Cisco. I don't I don't know. Go back and watch it. But so they have this blow up. He basically she's like, well then fine, I won't take the job and I'm leaving, and he does not respond. Right. So, which is it seems to be a conscious choice, right? Ben's like, well, yeah. I'm not going to lie, right? I'm going to, yeah, <clears throat> which. He is too. He is way smart enough. He knows that's going to piss her off, and that is going to. There's going to be some sort of. So she stands up, right? Like she's clearly leaving, and instead of like either continuing his ignoring or trying to stop her, he grabs the wine bottle and goes to pour her more wine. And I was like, well, that's a weird choice. Well, all right, I I know exactly what you're talking about, and here's here's my take on it. Okay, I think. He is like flabbergasted. He doesn't know what to say because he doesn't know what he wants. I think she calls him on it later. Mm-hmm. Like the reality is he doesn't know what he feels, doesn't know what he wants. And I think in that moment, 
he part of him thinks she just got up to get more wine that the bottle was empty and he's like oh no it's not empty oh wait she's leaving i i think that's what that's what i take from that yeah yeah or or it was like a a different take and they had tried something different it was just a weird edit probably more likely but but you know, but i i actually found it it's it's not like tv storytelling tight mm-hmm. but it felt more lived in as a human experience you're just like i don't know what to yeah, what, it's uh... nice to see ben bumbling a bit because he's usually so put together also i loved watching the two fried pieces of flounder or or chicken in this in this scene never get cut bitten or because they had to reuse it for like 12 days oh yeah no he like cut it once but they never eat it smart i think it's catfish Mm. which would which would make sense with like new orleans all right uh so uh kira arrives in the badlands and you remember what why the badlands are important in star trek history that's where star trek star the starship voyager was yanked out of it's a mysterious Mm. place so uh, they arrive in the Badlands to meet her friend. He shows them a piece of the broken hull that he thinks is from the Ravenock. Raska and Dukat spar for a bit. I think they are both great mm-hmm. in this scene. Um, I mean, th- this this actor is just such a like unique and fascinating performance you get from him. Like I watch him read the phone book, and I think he'd find He's a way. He's very to much interesting. Star Trek, or excuse me, very much a Star Wars character. Right, they're all sort yeah. of like junk traders who have like duplicitous motives, but <clears throat> that you can understand it because they're just kind of trying to make their way. Yep, yep, definitely. So it turns out that the piece of the ship came from the orbit of a remote planet, so of course they head off to investigate. We find there's interference around the planet, so they have to land the runabout on the surface. The planet is hot and dry, like a desert. Scene went on for longer than I read a recap of. Uh, and Dukat and Kira walk through the sand before discovering the wreckage of the Ravenock, which all of this looks mm-hmm. so good mm-hmm. because it was they did it on location, and it makes such a difference. And I thought what Lavar did with the uh, with the color timing of the image to make it look extra hot and dry. Mm-hmm. And it, it just the production values on this episode were terrific because of that. They love a scene where they're like, okay, go, go stumble up this hill. Yeah. <clears> well, we, you know, we, we see people stumble up that exact hill like a hundred so times, times yeah. in deep space. Nine There's because, still footprints you know, in it from the last one. <laughs> that's right. For the last time. So in act three, Bashir and Dax tell Cisco how much he screwed up by just saying it's a big step. And Dax uh, says, go tell Cassidy it was all your fault and you were wrong. Quark says, uh, don't be so sure. Women are the enemy. Never let them get the upper hand. And he's basically the pickup artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, you gotta neg him. You gotta neg him. <clears throat> oh, God, what a douchey moment in our time. Bashir says, it's a wonder the Ferengi reproduce at all. But then... They tag the scene with Dax and Bashir saying, what do you think? It's, it's a, a big, big step. step. I got to tell you, I'm not always a fan of these like couple of couplet quippy comedy inserts. This yep. one friggin nailed it. That was great. Yeah, it was great. You're right. It's a little sitcom tight, mm-hmm. but honestly, they landed it 
Like yep. I thought it was, I did a really good job. It and made like, me laugh too. In in so many words, we've all had that exact conversation. We've either been mm. Bashir and Dax, or we've been Bend. You know, when everybody wants to give you advice and you don't want it because you know you effed up, but <laughs> you don't need your friends to tell you, but you kind of do need it. Oh, once you're our age, you have been every character in yeah, that entire you're, scene. You're right. <laughs> and if you're lucky, if you're lucky, you have a Jake. If you're lucky, you have a Jake. Yes, I, I have Charlie. Charlie is my Jake. Hey, you could do worse. So, I could definitely do worse. So, uh, Kira and Ducat investigate the wreckage. It looks like they were in a battle. They also come across a bunch of graves. And I, I wrote down what I just said. The location shoot here is. Terrific. Doesn't look hokey at all. And is that no. is that is the it's tough sometimes with the AI upscale, but is the the ship stuff poking out of the sand, is that all practical or do they comp I, that? I in? think I think for, for this shot, I think the the whole ship, I think that's a miniature, but I with a composite. But this shot, I think all this is practical. It's cool. Looks great. Uh, oh, it's terrific. So they know that there must be some survivors because there aren't enough graves. Ducat says, let's identify the bodies, but I want to do it myself. And he says the Cardassians have different funeral rites from the Bajorans. But in here, he also displays some pretty in-depth understanding of the Bajoran faith, including quoting one of the uh, previous Kais. And uh, Kira demonstrates that she already knows the Cardassian command codes. And so uh, we have a little moment of mutual respect here. We are also reminded that the Bajoran earrings have family names or crests stamped on them, which is an interesting little detail there. Good branding. It's almost like Cassidy Yates sold them. Gotta have, gotta have your name on everything. So uh, later, Ducat digs in the sand and privately discovers some Bajoran jewelry. He looks stricken. This is clearly personal for him, too. Kira arrives and asks him what's going on. This Bajoran woman whose earrings he found was Ducat's girlfriend. She was one of his mistresses, but apparently they were genuinely in love. And Ducat's grief here looks real, mm -hmm. looks legit. And Mark Alamo does a terrific job of. And what of I can only imagine that. is the hottest day of his life. Oh my, yes, for sure. Or the coldest, because like you never yeah, know in a desert fair. like that. It could have been freezing. Uh, I know that on this same location, they were really cold on one, another set. I don't think it's this one, but... Uh, anyway, so Dukat is genuinely heartbroken, but Kira's friend is not buried here. But we do find out that the Ravenach was shot down by unidentified ships, and Kira is able to track the survivors using a uh, resistance trick so they walk until nightfall and set up a camp on the cave i don't know if you've got a screenshot of it but there's this great composite shot of them at the top of a or it might not have been composite yeah this one here what a great shot yeah i mean so looks i don't know if that's good that might have been an actual shot that they did so yeah possible oh, unclear but it looks fantastic so uh they set up camp in a cave where as we mentioned, I'm not going to use the phrase that you did, but Ducat sits on something, perhaps uh, giving himself another butthole, and Kira has to take the giant splinter out of his ass. They start laughing hysterically. It's a very human moment, 
And I think we see a, we see just a touch of Mark Alimo's actual personality mm -hmm. in here, mm -hmm. which was fun. Uh, and they commiserate over shitty rations. Kira then abruptly asks who Toraziel is. And apparently on her uh, investigation of the computer, she finds out there were two civilians on board. Ducat's girlfriend and a 13-year-old girl. It's Ducat's daughter. And Kira assumes that he's here to rescue her. But he says, nope, if she's still alive, I gotta kill her. And that is the end of Act 3. Once again, another twist in the Ducat. Oh, we like, we, we like you a little bit. We hate you. So in Act 4, Kira, of course, says, I'm does not going to let you Does he clarify whether it's because his wife will be pissed or that it'll politically hurt him or all of the above? I think it's a little bit of all of the above, but I think his main reason is his position in the new government is pretty tenuous. Mm-hmm. And that this is a political liability for him, um, which is sort of even worse. <laughs> so why not just like leave her on the planet? If like your ultimate like, I guess tie off the loose end. That's the whole point. Well, if they're gonna rescue everybody else and leave his daughter with the Breen, like I don't. Yeah, I mean, like he he had a lot of options between killing her and taking her back. Not just killing her, right? At this point, because clearly it's found out like it's killing her and kira most likely because she's kira's like, not gonna let him yeah. yeah but you wonder and i think kira points this out was he ever really gonna do it or by telling kira he was going to kill her he was setting up a way to stop he, he intentionally told her so that she yeah would stop that's him. a great point actually because the disconnect for me and it almost almost to the point of a wormhole in the plot for me but I'm trying to allow for the fact that Cardassians are not human beings and I know the human experience because the grief you see when he's mourning the 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 woman the Bajoran woman and when he sees his daughter with the callous cold very concrete decision he seems to have pre-made and, and announces to Kira about killing her are so incongruent like just at face value that I, I, I'm, I'm searching for a very specific motivation that would necessitate taking her out and you never really get that. So it muddies, it muddies letting him off the hook at the end. Cause you're like, well, I, are they telling me he's a hero? Are they telling me? Like, no, what? I don't, I, I, I don't think we're letting him off the hook at the end. I, I think that he, he's torn. Right, I, I think like the pragmatic thing for the betterment of Ducat is to kill her, but he doesn't really want to do it, and I think those things are both true at the same time. Um, so that's that's sort of my take on it. Is but I don't think he was ever actually gonna do it. I think that the part of him that doesn't want to do it is stronger than the part of him that does. Um, but he needed to let Kira know so that she would stop him. Mm. I think that's how I read it. Uh, anyway, he, uh, Kira says, I'm not gonna let you kill her. Let, let me take her to Bajor. Nobody has to know that you're his father. He says, I was sending, uh, he says, well, you know, as we've already seen previously on the series, like Cardassians living on Bajor, 
not, you know, the Cardassian war orphans. We, we dealt with that. It's not a great life. And he says, I was sending them away to live in peace to the Lesepians because nobody would want them on either Bajor or Cardassia. And now Ziel is a threat to his career. He's clearly upset to do it, but he's going to kill her anyway. Later, Sisko meets Jake for breakfast. He also tells Sisko, Jake also tells his dad, yeah, you screwed up. He understands what Sisko's feeling. He feels overly responsible for Cassidy making a big life change, um, which I thought this, this made a lot of sense to me because it wasn't just I'm afraid of commitment. It's I don't want to be responsible for you changing your entire life if I'm not sure that this is going to work out, of which I'm sure that girl who did that to you, right? You're going to move your entire life to a different city for me. I don't, I don't want to be responsible for you moving to a different city. I don't know what's going to happen here. There's and an inherent narcissism in it. Like oh, that you sure. think is altruism on your part, but is actually narcissism. That's really interesting. And what I love about this episode mm -hmm. is Cassidy calls him on it. Yeah. And, and points out that's exactly the best that. part where she's like, Oh, bitch, I took that job. Yeah, this is, <laughs> you I, start, I started yesterday. I, uh, great. I yeah. loved, I loved that, that beat. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, Jake says, I worked all this out talking with Nog. Hilarious. So on the planet, Kira and Dukat find the survivors. They're being held prisoners as dilithium miners by the Breen. The Breen are from a frozen planet, and they're using the prisoners on the planet because it's so hot. And it's been six years? Yeah. Been doing this for six years. Uh, and that is why we never see the Breen's face, because they have to wear the outfits that make them cold. Then they spot Ziel. And we head to Act 5. Dukat and Kira make a plan to do the rescue, but Kira says, if you hurt Ziel, I'll kill you. They sneak into the mines wearing green uniforms a la Star Wars or the Wizard of Oz. Uh, and obviously, this the Breen costume design borrows a great deal from Star Wars. Yeah, and Dead Space borrows a great deal from this. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and uh, including, you know, Kira revealing her face in this way. It's very, it's obvious that it's very similar. Anyway, uh, Kira talks to one of the prisoners and finds out that her friend is dead and that these prisoners don't even know that the occupation is over, which is like, oof, that's crazy. Um, the, uh, then the firefight starts pew pew. Dukat disappears into the mines as Kira arms the rest of the prisoners. Dukat eventually catches up with Ziel. She recognizes him and is happy then he aims a phaser at her. Kira arrives and holds him at gunpoint and says, there's always a choice. If you wanted to do this, you wouldn't have told me. She says the Cardassian prisoners, the Ziel says the Cardassian prisoners said that this was going to happen. And she says, if I can't be with you, I'd rather die. I actually and thought that was a great, that was a great bit of writing that I didn't expect, which I really thought heightened the whole realism of it, that she admits that all the other Cardassians are like, yo, he's going to murder you if he finds you. Yeah. She didn't want to believe that. Yeah. 
And it's how uh, old is she here? Do we know? So she's nineteen now. Because if she was thirteen when it crashed, it's been six years. Okay, I, I missed the thirteen bit. Math. I missed that. Yeah. Okay, so she did. They had. A, she knew him for years. Yeah. No. And so, I mean, I don't know how much she saw him, but clearly enough. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I think she does a terrific performance in this. I too. think it's exquisite, actually. You learn so much about her and with so little but it's great performance and you can tell that that <clears throat> she got she got cast from this read you know what i mean like yeah. this, she came in and did these sides and they were like, Th- this yep. was her self-tape yeah. yeah no and she and and she kills it and i think mark alimo does an, a terrific job here as well um but uh now uh i don't want to spoil things for the future but how many actors do you imagine are going to play zl throughout the oh, run of the series uh, uh, probably quite a bit <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Ducat finally drops his weapon and says, let's go home. So, Cisco then finally goes to the cargo bay and eats Crow. I want you to take the job. Her branding is still on point. Uh, I think maybe, maybe, and patrons out there, because I, I might need one, uh, do we need Cassidy Yates stickers? Property of Yates. Some, yes, I, I think maybe we need some Cassidy Yates cargo stickers. I would guarantee you they made so many that they're somewhere in a locker somewhere. There's just like a stack of those. Yeah, they should auction those off. Yeah, you know there's a ton of them. Yeah, good question. Uh, anyway, Cisco does a decent job of apologizing, and uh, he was a lot nervous, but turns out she took the job anyway. Do you think I'd turn down a great opportunity just because you got cold feet? Fuck yeah, Cassidy. Um, love that she takes the power right back. And, and then the physicality of that intention is even better. That's LaVar, so, baby. Yeah, it was it was great. She takes the power back. But here, here's, there are two things I love here. One, you know, again, she like she's like, bitch, you are not running my life, which I think is very important. And two, Cisco, upon hearing that, is even more in love. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 fact that she is she is strong and independent, like this, she's like, oh wow, yep, nope, I I love this even more, um, which I think says great things about both characters. And like I said, great direction means find a way in your blocking, in your stage business, whatever it is, to reinforce the theme of the moment, the intent through physicality. And right there, she's like, I don't need you. I want to be with you, uh, but I'm not making decisions based on you. And he, of course, is like, what dudes try to do? It's like, okay, we're making up, so let's smoochy smooch. And she's like, oh, I got things to do. I'm busy right now. Yeah. Great. And then and then he's like, damn. <laughs> awesome. So Kira runs into Dukat oh. back Ooh. on the station. And he has announces that he's taking ZL back to Cardassia after all. And he thanks Kira. And she asks him, will this make things difficult for you and he mysteriously closes with i'll let you know interesting all mm-hmm. right let's uh let's move along home shall we let's do that All 
right, let us begin with any wormholes in the plot, Mike. Yeah, the really only wormhole, and I brought it up briefly, and I'm, I'm making space for it to not be a wormhole, but I, his stakes are just ambiguous, right? It's clear. Uh -huh. And I think maybe intentionally so, as you're arguing, but at the same time, if he doesn't have, if we don't feel the conflict he's feeling, right, the the political weight, the, the trouble with his wife, the trouble, I mean, he's already got seven kids. The, the problem is is the is the quickness with which he, he's like, oh, okay. He like announces all of the problems he's gonna have, with, right, and to the point where he's gotta kill her. But then he has the gun rifle at her and at no point does it seem like he's actually gonna kill her and he's just like, okay let's go home let's live together it's all fairy tale happy ending which i know that they they even imply there's ambiguity to that ending and there's we don't know that it'll be fairy tale happy ending but that moment just seemed to lack a little tension right mm. and 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 so that feels wormholy to me uh but but out but as for just like a plot contrivances or or, or gaping wounds in the in the plot i don't i didn't find any i didn't feel any um, I'm sure Kira has maybe just discussed that friend before. I didn't really, it, it felt a little light in the, like what her relationship with him was or her relationship with the junk trader, but they, there's so much in the scenes that, that fuels that, that you just kind of like, okay, whatever the yada yeah, yada is, it, I'm, I'm it, fine with that. As it turns out, it's not important. Yeah. Like that's not what it's about anyway. Right. And that yada yada felt fine to me, but the yada yada with him making that decision, just like, okay, let's go home. Felt a little, nah. Uh, the bridge needed us a, 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 a we needed a firmer bridge for that gape there so uh that's it yeah i mean i i see what you're saying it is ambiguous um i think i i think the reality of it is sort of similar to, i think it dovetails with what cisco does cisco does it in a comedic fashion and um and ducat does it in a dramatic fashion the reality is there's a complex situation and he doesn't really know what he wants and he doesn't really know how he feels. And there's the pragmatic side. There's the emotional side. There's the whatever. It's all tenuous. It's all conflicting. It's all, it's all, I think it's muddy because it's muddy. Mm -hmm. And I think for Ducat, he doesn't really want to do this, but he convinces himself it's necessary until he's really face to face. And once you're there with looking your daughter in the eyes, it's very different than the conceptual problem you've been thinking about for six years. You haven't seen her in six years, mm -hmm. right? And so it, it starts to become, you know, it's, it's like I said, merely conceptual. And I think, um, I think it changes once it's in real life, but I don't think he ever really wanted to do it in the first place. So it's muddy, but I don't, I I, th I think I'm okay with it. I think it's I, I think I'm okay with that being the story as opposed to a wormhole in the story. Okay, let's talk best moment. <sighs> yeah. So I said it before, but I did love that comedic interlude. I thought that was actually really mm -hmm. well done, and it helps the episode, and because it, it was so uh, universal, it felt like a beat we've all had. For me, and listen, this is saying something. I really believe, and I think the moment with all the moments with Cassidy are great. I think all the moments with Kira and Ducat are great. So much good stuff. 
It's like two two-handers taking place, basically. Mm -hmm. For me, the best moment is still, because all you I just expressed to you my kind of, or I felt the plot let me down a little bit. However, what saves it in that moment is the performance of this actress, I don't even know, his daughter, uh, in this, I guess, one time she appears. Um, I uh, thought it was so... Sia Batten. Sia. I thought it was so emotional. I thought it was so raw. I thought it was so real that it it showed a relationship that they must have had. It showed a hope that she had had. It's like that. Uh, it's like a Castaway, where Tom Hanks, you know, like uses the idea of his wife to get through this torturous period of time, and then like when she has moved on with her life, which is totally understandable. She thought he was dead. It like crushes him and you see that exact kind of experience with her all in really kind of a few lines i thought it was great i'm gonna give that my best moment yeah i i I think it's a i think it's great i think um you know alimo's performance and his grief in both scenes were really excellent um i think just for the sake of of difference i'm gonna give it to um the, the the moment where he florida textbooks it a little bit and and you know, to talking about how he thinks the Bajorans benefited from the occupation, and then Kira's switching that back around because that that conversation felt so relevant both to today, but also all throughout human history. And that you know that I think there's it has something to say about the a part of the oppression of oppressors are trying to convince those who are being oppressed that it's for their own good. And I think that just speaks to a general dark human truth um, that I I just found very fresh and uh, for something that was, uh, you know, 30-something years old. Cool. So uh, let's hand out some stem bolts, shall we? You get some stem Yeah, I can see where our cup runneth over here and it's going to become challenging to start doing this because I would say, because last week, if that if last week was like the, the par for the course, then this feels in the vein of par for the course because I would argue that there was potentially more ramifications last week for the grand scheme, mm-hmm. right? Because we might have learned something about our enemy, the Jemadar, but here we're learning, I mean, at its core... The premise of this series is really about, or or the inception of the series is like the relationship between the Cardassians and Bajor, right? Like that's sort of the where this all started, and yep. here is sort of a bottle episode that is really showing us where we where we are, right? And how difficult that you can't just say, "Oh, hey, we're 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 friends now." That's that's as we know from American history, of course, but that is a very long road, and the first steps on that road require mm. a lot of a lot of strong people being strong, right? Despite in the face of some really tough stuff. So, uh, and and what better way? What better two actors to highlight than than Nana and Mark Limo? I just think they're so good in this episode. And then we're getting some really kind of great relationship beats. 
they aren't just cutesy cutesy with Ben and Cassidy. And so both of these relationships, I think, are do have tendrils that will spread going forward. It's not it's not totally a bottle episode in that it, it just like starts and ends here and there's nothing else outside of it. So I never I, it's hard to pull for let me look at the positive. They continue to knock it out of the park with Ducat stuff, right? The question becomes, unlike Garrick, where I feel like when we, the, the questions with Garrick often, his motivations generally tell a story, right? Now, whereas I need some more from Ducat now. I need to know like what he's, because we're learning with Garrick every time. We're learning a little bit more about what he wants or where he's going or where his allegiance is lie. With Ducat, I don't really feel that. I do feel like I just feel un- uneasy with it all the time. Like this episode clear seems to me like he's leaning protagonist in some ways, but I don't know for sure. I don't know. I just didn't feel a lot of forward movement is my only big, big problem with this episode. If I was to... Mm. Problem. Doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. It's once again, it's everything you know I love. It's incredible scene work incredible questions being asked and 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 actors facilitating it that said i don't think it's as strong for me as last week which i gave a 92 oh god i mean look it up let's 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 see what you said last week was a 91 last week so i'm gonna i still great it's great it's tough it's how do you say something's less great right but great uh for me i'm gonna say 89 yeah, I mean, oh, did I disappear? Oh, you did. We froze for a second, but oh, we're back. We're okay. back. All okay. is well. Um, yeah, I, I, I really like this episode. Um, I think this episode is incredibly tight, in the sense that every scene works. Every scene moves the character this is a character episode right this is not a plot episode this is a character episode but every and you're right it is a series of two-handers mm-hmm. right and and so you you have cassidy and ben you have jake and ben you have kira and ducat you have kira and odo you have kira and her other friend you have ducat and ziel right it's just all of these things but every single scene however short moves the character development forward you know the Kira Odo scene. It's just it's sort you know it's a scene that is basically just laying track for the plot, and yet we still learn something about their relationship. Every interaction that uh, that Kira and Ducat have because they have like four or five distinct scenes. Now normally there might be a lot of repetition within those scenes, or sort of like this is the dynamic that we have while we're moving the plot forward. Well, no, we actually. Each one of them tells us something new about one or both of the characters and their and the dynamic is constantly changing and developing and there's consequences. So just in terms of the writing of this and the direction, the performance, it's just incredibly tight. There's no filler, there's no repeated beats. We're learning new things. And I think it's just really, really well constructed that way. Well directed, well written, well performed. Um you know, and we have we have the individual character progression happening. We also, you know, you mentioned it, right? The 
the larger story arc between the Bajorans and the Cardassians, which Kira and Dukat are are frequently the stand-ins for, we are we are progressing our larger story about the long load of recovery from war. Mm-hmm. And and so it's a personal recovery. It's the it's the the nations themselves, it's the land, it's the people, it's the whatever. And so we are progressing from how we met Ducat and their relationship. It's progressing. You know, we it's a long road. We are nowhere near the end of the road, but we're in a different part of the road than we were previously. And I think that's great. And I think that um, you know learning more about Ducat as a person, you, you know, you sort of ask like, I don't really know who Ducat is. And I think that's, that is one of the main questions, but I think it is, it has always been clear and continues to be clear that Ducat's defining characteristic is narcissism. And that is overriding the other genuine part of him. That is a feeling person who wants to, he wants to be good. He does care about other people, but his malignant narcissism is constantly topping that just a little bit. It always wins just a little bit. And um, and I think that that is, you know, we all know that person, right? We know the person who is like, they convince themselves they're doing, they want to be a good person. They want to do the right thing, but they just can't because of their narcissistic personality disorder, <laughs> which I think is what's happening here with Ducat. Uh, so it's it's fascinating. I, I think he, I think it, the, the whole thing is fascinating. Um, I think that the episode looks great. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's a great point you bring up. And I think this is an interesting, an interesting character study in narcissism because I think we're often... The, the narcissists we see rise to prominence or who frustrate us the most on television or in the political spectrum are the ones who often have a very braggadocious uh, bluster about them, which is just infuriating that these people, because they're almost proud of the shit they get away with. Right. You know, fueled by this narcissism. But that is not the actual brand of narcissism that most human beings are dealing with, right? It's this. Right. It's motivational narcissism, that it's this kind of driving force. It is an intrinsic thing that keeps you from operating at your peak empathy level, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, it, it, the, there's there's an obvious example. You can fill in the lines where it is it is the type of narcissism where, like, you know you're doing the wrong thing. And you're getting off on the idea that I can get away with doing the wrong thing. And this is what I'm, this, this is what's making me get out of bed in the morning is the, the hit of excitement of getting away with something I know is wrong. Yeah. But Dukat, his, the malignancy of his narcissism is that he's able to convince himself that I'm doing the right thing by doing, you know, when I'm doing the wrong thing. And it's, it's a, I, I think it's, also, one of the, the I, I the forgot we evil. forgot yeah. to bring it up at the time because I think it's one of the actually very I think the most the coolest question gray area thing this episode deals with and we, we barely talked about it M- much like I'm sure I'm sorry to draw this parallel but I, I'm I'm gonna just do it because it's direct I'm sure 
and we've there are many cases of actual slave owners back in the day who fell in love with a slave, right? I, it's true sure. love. I feel that way. I'm sure there were Nazis who fell in love with some of their imprisoned uh, uh, prisoners, Jew Jewish women, men, whatever, whatever the case may be. That does not absolve you of the complicity, the sin of complicity, in the grand scheme of the thing. Of course not. So, no. so it's almost it's worse because because it's a non-consensual love because the other person has no choice. Yeah, well, the nuance of that is I, I, is hard to speak to without direct empathy, right? But, so, but that's not even the point. The point becomes, in his delivery of that line, I think he captures that the the just moral uh, ambiguity, discrepancy, evil, whatever you perversion. Insert, I would perversion. Say. Great, great, great word. Because he says when she's like, "Oh, of course," he basically she black and whites it like you did, right? Like, well, there's can't be complicit. There can't be. Uh, uh, consent in this situation, this relationship, and he says, "No, no, no. This was true love. We really loved each other." Right. And, to which he believes he, it. He believes he it. He feels right. it and believes it, and he's and he's mourning just the way you would expect someone to mourn. But the question becomes: Can that be real? Is it real? And then on the flip of that, but yet you're still going to murder your daughter. Like there's it perfectly well, and, encapsulates and, the 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 impossibility of solving that Rubik's cube. And I, I think that perfectly encapsulates the malignancy of that narcissism. That yes, which we are really just, yeah. convinces himself. It's you know, it it's like I I, I think uh I, I think someone truly believes he's six three two fifteen when he looks in the mirror, right? <laughs> it's like And I think to put a point on it and why Trek and especially I think this this Deep Space Nine and people have said this, I'm not we're not breaking news here is so great is that and at, at the same time at the same time even though it's clear we lean a little bit one way more than the other the show is not saying Dukat at this point to my knowledge is not saying Dukat is evil evil Nazi right it's not right. it's not saying that even though we can extrapolate whatever we want from that, right? I'm sure there are, there could be a podcast where easily you could be like, no, he feels it. And if the love is real in his heart, then it transcends the bonds of whatever. I mean, that is not what Bullshit. Keith and I are but saying. Yeah. yeah, but I'm saying yeah, you could yeah. you could argue it. We're not going to. You could, though. And maybe you will in the comments. And Keith will come back at you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> So it won't be unchecked. It won't be unchecked. But that's but that is look, as human beings, as as people in this realm, pundits if you say that is the whole point, right? The conversation is the whole point. I don't need to be yeah. force fed everyone's opinions, right? Let's have a conversation. That's the beauty of art. Awesome. Yeah. yeah you know what? I'm giving it ninety now, Keith. I'm bumping yeah, it too. I, I talked myself up too, actually, <laughs> as as I was talking about it. Yeah, I think it's it's a hell of an episode yeah. that that slides in under the surf. Like it's it's not, you know. Again, it's not the way of the warrior or mm -hmm. the visitor, right? But like, damn, that's a really solid. Yeah. So where are you going? Really now? solid episode. I'm gonna give it 92. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> there it is. I'm giving it 92 because it's 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 damn good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's a really so really great episode. All right. So next week we will be talking about Rejoined, uh, which is a fascinating episode to talk about. 
We will do so next Wednesday. You can reach all of us on our contact info here on the screen. If you're listening to the podcast, I'm at Keith Varney on stuff. He's at MikeyI99 on stuff. Uh, check out our other shows. Look at my Star Trek toys and K&M Geekly. If you, uh, if you missed Strange New Show about Strange New Worlds, we got the whole two seasons done all here on the YouTube and in your ear holes. Uh, leave us a rating and review on your podcast feeds. That really helps. Uh, some people are rating. If you just write a, like a one-sentence review, it definitely changes the algorithm a great. So you can literally write just, you know, fart, 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 and it would actually help us. So that would be uh, that'd be great. Thank you very much for doing that. We will see you back here next week. Till then, this has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM.